Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Father, we are now here all gathered before you. Lord, to hear what you will speak to each one of our hearts. And so we pray, Lord, by your spirit that is poured out to us, make known your words to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, If you turn, please, in your Bible to Matthew, to Matthew chapter 16, Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, Matthew 16, 13, Matthew 16, 13. This is our text this morning, Matthew 16, 13. Please follow along to read Matthew 16, 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye? That I am. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and the the scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. This passage here, this this history, this account of this history is a pivotal point. It's a pivot in time in the history of the Lord's ministry here. When the Lord, from this point on, begins to speak openly and clearly about the cross, his cross. And it's very instructive for us to see how he introduces the subject of the cross or the context in which he introduces to them the subject of the cross. 
We find the Lord with the disciples here. He's here in the, on the seacoast there in Caesarea Philippi. It's one of the most beautiful places in Israel. It's about the last place that you would expect anyone like the Lord to begin to speak of his sufferings of the cross. But that's what he did. And he starts by asking his disciples a very strange question. And the question is, what, do, uh, what others thought of him? Ooh, what other, who, who they thought he was? And the question is, why should he care? Why was that important, what others thought? Well, the disciples begin to answer, and they start to lift off who others thought that he was. And the list goes from John the Baptist. Some say you're John the Baptist. And then a lot of the others go to, no, Elijah. Some say you're Elijah. And then others, no, some say you're Jeremiah. And then, well, you're just one of the prophets. We don't know who. And from these answers, it becomes very clear that the people are confused about who he was. They don't know who he was. They really didn't know. So first he establishes in their mind that the world was confused about who he is. And, 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 and really today, nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. People today are very confused about who the Lord Jesus is. Most say, well, he's a great teacher. He was a starter of a new religion. He's a prophet. And from that confusion of the world, the Lord then moves on to his disciples and, and, they, and he asks them the same question, who do you say that I am? So he brings them to this point. He wanted them at that point to take their firm stand as to who he was. And we can imagine, you know, the disciples, they've heard all the, well, some say this, some say that. They're fumbling, they're hesitating. And, and, and then, and, but then Peter there's no fumbling, no hesitation with Peter. He steps right up to the front and he says with this bold confidence in verse 16, Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And with that answer, we can hear the angels applauding in heaven. Bravo, Peter, right on. Because Peter had said with this unmistakable clarity and this firm conviction that Jesus was the Christ. Jesus was the Messiah or the sent one from God, and that Jesus was the Son of the living God, or God the Son. And that is what Peter said, that Jesus was the Messiah and Jesus was God. And then the Lord says to, to Peter that, that because you knew that, that he, because you knew that I am Messiah and God, that Peter, you are greatly blessed. You're blessed directly by God the Father, and the Lord made it clear that, that, Peter, you didn't learn that, that I'm the Messiah and that I'm God because an instructor told you that. But that knowledge that I am the Messiah and that I am God, it came directly to you by direct revelation from God the Father, just like it's written in Isaiah 53.1. Isaiah 53.1 says, who has believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Today, people, they can say, well, I know that as a matter of doctrine that Jesus is the Messiah and that Jesus is God, but Isaiah 53, 1 makes a very clear link that for, that, 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 that for people to really believe that, it comes only by revelation. Who hath believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? People today may know that the Bible teaches that Jesus is Messiah and God. But to really believe that, that comes from the revelation from God. And Peter's confession that Jesus is the Messiah and Jesus is God, it's so important that in, in, in verse 18, verse 18 you say, it says, 
the Lord said, and I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock will I build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What rock? The conviction that Jesus is Messiah and Jesus is God, that's the rock that the Lord Jesus would build his church on it. There'd be no stopping that church, even the gates of hell. Now, I don't want you to think that the church was going to start sometime in the future, like on the day of Pentecost, because the church was already in existence when the Lord said that, because he said that the church was in existence when he told if what to do if there was an offender who did not repent. He said in Matthew eighteen seventeen, the only second time when he used the word church, ecclesia, it says, and, he, and if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. Now tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be to thee as a heathen man or a publican. Stephen also said the church existed at Mount Sinai in Acts 7.38. Acts 7.38, this is he, he said, Peter, Stephen said, this is he that was in the church, the ecclesia, in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him in the Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received the holy, the lively oracles to, uh, to give unto us. The church was in existence, but from this point forward, the church was now gonna be built on this foundational conviction that Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah and is God. And then the Lord told his disciples, don't tell anyone. He said, don't say any, don't tell anyone that I am Messiah and God. Why would he do that? Such an important, an important point, such a, a foundation for the, for the going forward of the already existing church. Why would he say don't tell anyone? Because his church, at going forward, was going to be formed by those who came to their own personal conclusion that Jesus of Nazareth was Messiah and God. That church going forward was always going to be based on people's personal, individual conclusion that Jesus was the Messiah and Jesus with God. By those who really believed it, not just by those who could repeat it because they learned it in a catechism or a doctrine, but really in their heart believed it. And from now that they believe that Jesus was the Messiah and Jesus with God, this opens the door for him to now speak about the cross. This is the truth that has to be established in their mind before he can then reveal to them the cross. That's why it says in verse 21, from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. They just weren't prepared. They were not prepared to understand the cross of Jesus unless they first understood who Jesus was, unless they first understood that Jesus was the Messiah and that Jesus was God. And it shows us no one today can understand the cross unless they first understand that Jesus is the Messiah and Jesus is God. No one can understand the cross unless they first understand who Jesus is. First comes the belief that he is the Messiah and God, then a person is ready to understand the cross. After they have believed that he's the Messiah and God, then he begins to reveal his mind to them, the mind of God. After they believe that Jesus is the Messiah and God, then he starts to let in more and more light into the soul about the cross. Then they're able to bear that light. So the first light that he gives to them in verse 21 is all tied up in the word must, must. He says in verse 21, he must go on to Jerusalem 
and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. The, the cross is a matter of must. It's a matter of must. He could have called 12 legions of angels to take him out of the world to avoid the cross, but he chose not to. He chose to must go. And, and, and that's why we never see him in the, in the, in this, these final chapters of the Gospels. We never see him surprised when his suffering starts. That's why we always see him in this state of just perfect composure as a lamb led to the slaughter, not opening his mouth. And, and, and when he's arrested to be crucified, and he, he, we see him with this solid resolve to go to the cross for our salvation because it became a matter of must in verse 21. Because this is what the Messiah does. The Messiah goes to the cross to save his people from their sins. This is what God does. God goes to the cross to save his people from their sins. This is why it is written in, in, in Luke 24, 16, Luke 24, 16, and said unto them, thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. This is a matter of behooved. It must, it had to. And he said that he must go to Jerusalem in verse 21 because the Jerusalem, Jerusalem was the place of the temple. Jerusalem was the place of the sacrifices. He said that at Jerusalem, he was to suffer many things. And when he said many things, what was he thinking about? Many things. He was thinking of the many things like being bound as a criminal in the garden, of being spit on, of being stripped, of having a crown of thorns driven into his skull through beatings, of having the hairs of his beard pulled out, of being mocked by the Jews, by the Romans, of being beaten, of being scourged, being crucified. And those things, in verse 21, he calls suffering many things. And then he said that the ones behind all the sufferings, they were the elders, they were the chief priests, they were the scribes. Those were the very ones who should have been the first to worship him. They should have been before the wise men. We have come to worship him. They should have been the ones first to admire him. They should have been the ones first to proclaim to the world, he is the Messiah and God. But they were the ones who, he said, made him suffer. And then, at the end of verse 21, he said that he would be raised again the third day. You know, whenever the Lord spoke of his sufferings and of the shame of the cross, he always spoke of the joy that was set before him, of the afterwards. Like Pastor Lockridge used to say, it's Friday, but Sunday's a coming. And he always spoke about the Sunday that was a coming. He always spoke about being raised from the dead. And like it says in Hebrews 12, 2, Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. The joy that was set before him. And we can now, now this has just happened here, that Peter has made this tremendous confession that he was the, the Messiah and God the Son. And we can imagine Peter, knowing Peter, that he must have been feeling pretty high at this point. 
about making such a proclamation. You know, we can just imagine Peter giving that look to the other disciples and say, you know, I'm the one. That's me, you know. I'm the one that God the Father just made this personal rest of revelation to. So now watch me now, boys. And he goes on, verse 22. Verse 22. Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, be it far from thee, Lord, this will not be unto thee. Now, Peter here at this point, he's lifted up with pride. There's arrogance with him when he says that, and he has fallen right into the, 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 the verse of Proverbs 16:18. Proverbs 16:18 that says, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. I mean, leave it to Peaver. Peaver. <laughs> I want to say Beaver. <laughs> leave it to Peter. <laughs> it's not leave it to Beaver. Leave it to Peter. <laughs> Leave it to Peter to say what others were thinking but were afraid to say. And Peter said that because, why did he say that? And why did he say, don't, you know, this can be far from you, you know, the, the, may the cross be far from you. Why did he say that? Because he was offended by the cross and he was trying to keep the Lord from the cross. That be far from thee. Peter just missed that must part in verse 21. He just missed that. Now the Lord gives the strongest rebuke that he ever gave to any disciple when he says in verse 23, verse 23, he turned and said unto him, get thee behind me, Satan, for thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest the things that be of God, thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. What did he just say? The Lord just said, Satan was speaking through Peter. When the Lord addressed Peter, it was like, it was just the same way that the Lord addressed Satan directly when he was in the temptation with the devil in the wilderness in Matthew 4.10, Matthew 4.10, where it's the same thing. Then Jesus saith unto him, get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. How can that be? How could that be? How could we go from blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, to get thee behind me, Satan? How can we do that? How did that happen? But that's what happened. Because Satan had controlled Peter. Satan had controlled Peter at that point. Just like Satan controlled Judas Iscariot in John 13, 27. John 13, 27. After the stop, Satan entered into him then said Jesus unto him, that thou doest do quickly. But Peter thought he was right. Peter was, a, Peter was in, in, in sincere in his conviction. There was no, again, no hesitation, no fumbling. He just stepped forward. How could that be? How could Peter think he was right? He could think he was right because of 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. Second 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says, no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. So Peter was just used by Satan against the Lord. Just like Eve was used by Satan against Adam. Just like Job's wife was used by Satan against Job. Which all shows us that we need to be on our guard for the voice of Satan that might come through someone else. It might come through a friend. It might come through a teacher. It might come through a spouse. My soul be on thy guard, 10,000 foes arise. 
But the Lord rebuked Peter, and that rebuke was faithful. It was kind. Like it says in Proverbs 27, 6. Proverbs 27, 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. And like it says in Psalm 141, 5. Psalm 141, 5. Let the righteous smite me. It shall be a kindness. Let him reprove me. It shall be an excellent oil, which shall not break my head. So the Lord said to Peter that for him to avoid the cross, that's what man is interested in, and not what God is interested in. To avoid the cross, as he said in verse 23, was to savor not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. To avoid the cross was a deep offense to the Lord. That's what he said. Thou art offense unto me. To avoid the cross, what the Lord was saying was that what the enemy of God, Satan, wanted was for him to avoid the cross. Satan wants to blot out and make it so that nobody sees the cross. Yet the cross is the message of the Bible. As it says in 1 Corinthians 1.23, 1 Corinthians 1.23, we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, unto the Greeks foolishness. So this brings us now to the main question this morning that's going to prepare us for coming to the Lord's table to remember the cross at the Lord's table with the question, why was what Peter said such an offense? Or as the Greek word has it, a scandalon. Why was it such a scandal what Peter said? And the answer is, Whatever stood in the way of the cross stood in the way of our salvation. Whatever stood in the way of the cross was deeply offensive to the Lord Jesus. It was a scandal to him because it stood in the way of our salvation. So what we focus on now is that the one on the cross was Jesus of Nazareth who was God and who was Messiah. And whatever stood in the way of our salvation or of him going to the cross to save us was deeply offensive to him. That's what true love looks like. As the song says, isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? Let's pray. Father, do now, Lord, help us to be prepared to, for this, this very important time now as we come to your table to remember you in Jesus' name. Amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. 
or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Experience a short-term missions trip to Israel, the land and people to whom the Lord Jesus Christ will return. Not only walk where the Lord Jesus walked, but reach who He reached, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Be a part of the encouraging Jewish friends to receive the Lord Jesus. Israel Alive is all about making friendships with lost Israelis that will hopefully be eternal. We hope you'll join us in reaching the nation of Israel one friendship at a time. For more information, visit us at israelalive.org. That's israelalive.org. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. You are invited to the 4th Annual Taste of Creation Benefit Dinner and Silent Auction in support of the Life and Light Foundation on Saturday, July 14th at 6 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. We will highlight the Life and Light Ministries that include the Creation and Earth History Museum, Israel Restoration Ministries Jewish Evangelism, and the Friendship with God Radio Ministry. Learn how your faithful support impacts the furtherance of the gospel to millions of lost people. All registered guests will take a walk through history and experience amazing foods themed for each exhibit. Everyone will have the opportunity to take home some amazing auction items, and we will hear from Creation Museum President Tom Cantor. The cost of the event is $39 per person and $59 per couple. Register today at tasteofcreation.com. That's tasteofcreation.com. 